Hello. Getting a bounce back in my ear. What's going on here? Is that better? Hey, guys. Yeah, you sound great. I'm getting a mixed minus. You know what that is? A mixed minus? Yeah, so when I speak, I can hear myself repeating over and over again. Or an echo. Uh, echo, yeah. I'm annoying enough the first time. I don't need to have <laughs> myself kind of fly back into my own ear. That, that happens sometimes. That has happened occasionally to me. Yeah. They can fix that. Brady right. can fix it. Guys, fix it, or we'll take a commercial break. What are you going to do? Yeah? I'll get you here in yeah. just a second, John. Just let Sherry talk for about 20 seconds, and I'll get you All back right. right as rain. Sherry, why don't you talk for a little while? Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with our friend Tucker Carlson. Uh, it was not a well-received uh, thing that Tucker Carlson was doing over the last couple of days. He was showing the January 6th footage uh, that had never been that had never been seen before. And um, he has gotten a lot of pushback from that. Everybody from Chuck Schumer to some GOP senators to the Capitol Police chief, yeah. Have con- they've, they've condemned him and said this. Every, was a everybody's thing. upset with him, right? Yeah. So everybody. of the forty thousand of the forty thousand hours of the cameras that he's had, all his producers look at the stuff. Basically, what Carlson is doing, he, Tucker's trying to show you this is all the stuff that you didn't see. The January sixth committee was um, just a whitewash of Trump, and not. It was completely partisan. They didn't have anybody else on there. So that was all staged. And he's basically saying, look, here's the thing. Here's the things they didn't show you, which is true. But he's also at the same time, he's also saying, you know what? Maybe these people were just in there walking around. It really wasn't a riot. You know, they were portrayed as uh, insurrectionists when really it's not. He is, I think, the best thing that he's doing. The reason people are so upset is because what he's saying is, Here's video that you didn't see. This They cut it off at this point in order to be able to make their case, that being the January 6th committee. And if you had watched the whole tape, you get more of the story. So he's showing more of the story. But, man, are people mad, right? It is amazing. Really mad at him. And the media is so mad at him. And the question is, well, why didn't the media? They could have asked for the tape. It, it's public. They can get the stuff. There are some senators and congressmen that didn't want any of the stuff to go public. Why not? It's our cameras. It's our stuff. We should be able to see it. It's our government. They, the media could have looked into it, but they didn't. So he's looking at it. He's making a real heyday, getting a lot of ratings out of the whole thing. And he just people are just the crowd was enormous. A small percentage of them were hooligans. They committed vandalism. You've seen their pictures again and again. But the overwhelming majority weren't. They were peaceful. They were orderly and meek. These were not insurrectionists. They were sightseers. Footage from inside the Capitol overturns the story you've heard about January 6th. Protesters queue up in neat little lines. They give each other tours outside the Speaker's office. They take cheerful selfies and they smile. They're not destroying the Capitol. They obviously revere the Capitol. Yeah. See, I think I think how they revere it, but yeah, I don't. I don't think that the the 
outrage at Tucker Carlson has to do with the footage being shown. I think it has to do with the narrative that he's providing about the footage. He is suggesting somehow that it was um, on balance, where there was just just there were just as many people being peaceful and lovely as there were being riotous and uh, creating the the problem. What he's saying doesn't mitigate. What happened that day? I mean, what happened no. that day was, was, you know, bad. It was really bad. So him trying to, you know, reevaluate this or, or paint it in a different, in a different light is what the problem is. Um, I, I think everybody has a right to know what happened. I thought the most interesting part or one of the most interesting parts was when you saw, and I can't, I can't remember his name, the guy running out of the Capitol. Uh, oh, Holly. You saw Josh yeah, Holly. Uh, Josh, Josh Holly. So what you see is, and what they made a big deal about this during the January 6th committee hearings, is that Josh Holly, they showed him just that clip of him running like he was a coward out of the building. Tucker Carlson right. showed the full clip, which was tons of people running out at the same clip before him, and then he was I kind know. of bringing out the back. So, I mean, stuff like that I, I think is interesting. The rest of it to suggest somehow these were peaceful people and they were they had no ill intent, I, I think it's very disingenuous. I will say that the January 6th committee had only one thing on its mind, which was to destroy Donald Trump. And they try to connect Donald Trump's words to what was happening. And the media picks up on it because the media takes the notes from the Democratic Party and insurrectionists and the insurrection at the Capitol. And isn't it interesting of the 400 and some people that have been arrested and charged? Not one person was charged with insurrection. How can that be? If it was an insurrection, you would assume somebody would be charged with insurrection. But no one was because that's not what happened. There's this piece that... um Malcolm Gladwell talks about when it comes to um, the angry crowd. He said, if you get a, like a 100 people standing in line, the first person that picks up and throws the rock through the window is angriest, right? Mm-hmm. The next person, so that's the first guy throws the rock through the window. Second guy picks up a rock and throws it through the window. He's not as angry as the first guy, but he's sort of following. By the 10th person, that person was not as angry as the first person, but it was following, sort of caught up in the fervor of the first, second, and third person. And by the time you get to the hundredth person throwing a rock through the window or destroying something, they're the least angry of all of them so far in the line, just, you know, following this sort of example of throwing rocks. So somebody got, hey, we can get in, let's go in. And they're like, and hey, everybody else is going in, let's go in. You see them walking around, looking, taking pictures. You see the cops walking around as well. I think the most devastating part of this whole thing is Brian Sicknick. So Brian Sicknick was the police officer reported by the Washington Post and New York Times and all media as being killed, being bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher. And he wasn't, but it didn't matter because the media ran with the story, and then the Washington Post did a big story about all he wanted to do was be a police officer, and then he was killed by Trump's mob. No, he died the next day of two strokes. Uh, he was then uh, cremated, and then they took his body, the ashes, and they had it lying in state in the rotundra. The reason they did that is because they needed the victim, and they decided they were going to take this guy and say he was killed by the mob. Nope, didn't matter. They used him anyway, 
and they they used the whole thing and they remember the present going up there and then praying in front of and then they had prayers and there was the flag and everybody was doing this big memorial the guy died of a stroke the doctor that performed the autism uh, the uh, autopsy said it wasn't the bear spray that caused the stroke it was just some problem that the guy had they couldn't connect the two but it didn't matter they had to keep lying about this guy the washington post the new york times cnn msnbc nbc abc cbs all about this guy who was killed by the mob he wasn't he died of a stroke but it didn't matter they still had his body lying state so tucker carlson shows you the video of brian sicknick after being sprayed, walking around the Capitol, inside, moving here, moving there, you know, doing whatever cop thing he was doing. And they knew it. They knew that he hadn't been killed by a fire extinguisher because they had the video of him walking around. But it didn't matter. They didn't stop it. They put that story out there. Someone did anyway. And then that became the thing where everyone was mourning the loss of this guy. And even his parents were like, please, and his, and his brother said, don't use my brother as a political pawn. And now, by the way, his parents are suing a civil suit, Trump, for the loss of their son, Brian Sicknick. But... I felt that was one of the worst parts of the whole thing, because then even during the January 6th hearing, they were trying to connect the quote-unquote homicide of Brian Sicknick to Donald Trump when they knew full well that he did not get killed by somebody smashing a fire extinguisher over his head. But the media ran with it because it's this whole idea of how horrible these guys are. Because what you had was you had the Black Lives Matter crap going around where they were burning things down and killing uh, police officers, injuring police officers and destroying billions of dollars worth of property, which was apparently mostly peaceful in between the flames uh, and the gunshots. And then they wanted to compare what was happening at the Capitol compared to what was the entire summer of all of the burning and looting that was going on. And they needed to be able to show it was far worse when the quote unquote white supremacists went into the Capitol to destroy democracy. That was the narrative from the Democrats, i.e. also the media. And that's what they gave you during the January 6th. Tucker Carlson is an opinion guy that has a news piece and he's getting huge ratings out of this. And the media is really upset with him. Why is the media so upset? Because they're such truth seekers? No, the media is upset because, I mean, I I don't think they're, I think it's feigned outrage, but I think the reason is, you know, this is a new angle to the story, and they've uh, repeated the same story over and over again. By the way, uh, Sicknick's partner, Sandra Garza, said uh, to NBC News that she was appalled by Carlson's segment and his downplaying of the significance of his death. Carlson is not a doctor or a mental health professional and does not have the expertise to understand how one severe traumatic effect can so significantly impact the body and the brain. For him to act as an expert is laughable. The the chief medical examiner in D.C. Is she a doctor? Is she a doctor? Her partner? No, okay. medical examiner did not link the two things. The only thing they can really say about him is that he had uh, a bl- two strokes due to a blood clot in his brain stem. Now, that could yes. have been going on and ready to – it was a ticking time bomb. No one knows. Right. But what they're right. trying to link it to is this bear spray that right. a couple yep. of the people uh, sprayed at him. I think they've stopped using the fire extinguisher uh, reason, but that's what they think it is. Now – how bear spray could help, you know, could create a blood clot that quickly the very no. next day remains to be seen. But, I mean, right. I do think it's disrespectful of of Tucker Carlson to kind of 
downplay or or sort of in an accusatory manner uh, talk about this guy's death. I think that's in bad uh, form. I don't. I I've heard him talk about it, but I think I'm hoping what he was referring to was the way they lied about his death, and then they made his death. And they had him lying in state and Nancy Pelosi making speeches and Chuck Schumer making speeches and Joe Biden making speeches about this hero dying. Um, uh, and in the line of duty, which, by the way, you can die in the line of duty doesn't mean you have to die right there. You, it's sort of a little vague, but technically he would die within the line of duty. But they they needed you to believe that the mob killed him. That's and that's the problem I have, and maybe Tucker Carlson has the same problem. The media is most upset. The Republicans don't want to talk about this because it just reminds people of a really ugly incident, and it reminds people of Donald Trump, and it reminds people of just the whole mess of January 6th. They would rather forget it and move on. They don't want to keep going back and talking about it. They want to just dismiss it, just keep going. But the American people have a right to know. It. Our ca- those are our cameras. Those are, that is our video. We have a right to see the whole story. Because if you just show one part of it, you only see one part of it. And the media showed only one part for the longest time. So he's getting a lot of blowback because he's at least going, well, how about this piece of video? Like you pointed out, Josh Hawley running by. They made fun of him. When they played it in the committee, everybody they laughed. laughed. Yeah. Yeah, they mocked him. Well, when, because how they set it up. You know, they they knew what they wanted to do with that committee, and they now Tucker Carlson showing some other stuff. So both of them, pox on both their houses, both just unbelievably biased. And you would just hope that the the that the media would be you know calling plays on both sides, calling balls and strikes for both. But it's not. It's bias on the Democrat side, and you get Tucker Carlson on the other side. So this is what you're getting. So there you go. His ratings well, are going to media- be huge, by the way. Yeah, the the media was allowed to be biased. Uh, the other, you know, side was allowed to be biased, but they don't want Tucker Carlson to be biased. They don't want him to right. give his commentary because it doesn't agree with what they they saw, um, or what they reported on, not what they saw. Yeah. So you know, the last piece. This is a, this is your Senator Tom uh, Tillis from North Carolina. I, I was here. I was down there. And I saw maybe a few tourists, a few people who got caught up in things. But when you see police barricades breached, when you see police officers assaulted, all of that, or you had to be in close proximity to it. If you were just a tourist, you should have probably lined up at the visitor center and came in on an orderly basis. Yeah. Is he referring to them as tourists? Is Carlson saying that? Yeah, he's saying, yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he's he's saying that, you know, these people, there was an orderly uh, way of the crowd and that uh, the guy wearing the, what they call him the QAnon, that yeah, weird yeah, guy. The yeah, horns, that guy, yeah, yeah, um, that they saw him being sort of escorted around like he was being treated like a guest. Um, but, you know, everything that he says, there's another side to that. So I get it. Um, I, you know, it's, it's listen, it, they're all doing the same thing, whether it's Tucker Carlson or it's MSNBC. They're both doing the same thing. Right. Plus, also, you have to have Fox. What Fox is doing is trying to create enough diversion to this rather than following the story of Murdoch 
and the court case that's going out is all of the discovery regarding the text messages between Hannity and Tucker Carlson talking about Donald Trump and uh, Murdoch knowing that some of his reporters were reporting on the big lie and pushing the story that the election was stolen when they were being told not to. So that's sort of the other story that's going on. But in this case, Fox is dominating the news by having all of this video stuff come out and Tucker rolling this stuff out now, as opposed to talking about what was happening in the case regarding the lawsuit and the stolen election. Um, and yeah, well, that, that's, that's damaging his credibility now. even more because people are seeing the fact that Tucker Carlson, while he was promoting Trump the whole time, was sending out text messages saying he can't he hates the guy and that he can't wait till he has till he gets to stop talking about him. So yeah. uh, I, I think that's going to do more damage to Tucker Carlson than this. Hmm. Wow. Hot take from Sherry. Hold on. Where's my hot take button? I can't buy it. You should see my setup here. I've got the camera on top of a box, on top of a stove. I'm I'm underneath a light of from the from the oven. You've got a fancy setup, Sherry. You're all fancy. A, fa- a fancy setup? No, I got my computer and my microphone, you know. Can you see behind me? You want a tour? Yeah, huh? sure. So there's the piano. Well, a couple of text messages say they wondered if you were doing this from your garage because they see the car. (laughs) So you may want to clear that up. It's a long story. All right. uh, Speaking of cars. Hey, thanks, Sherry. Good segue. There's Nate over there at the Beacon Public Traffic Desk. Nathan. Here we go, the John Curley Sherry Ellica Show, and you're along for the ride. Thank you, everybody. Hey, look at you, Sherry, huh? I couldn't see you yesterday. Oh, you can see me today? Yeah, nice eyebrows. You like them? <laughs> Didn't you have some sort of work done? I did. I had a uh, uh, something called microblading. So they're looking really big today, a little caterpillar-ish, but um, they'll calm down. They'll calm down. Although I have to say, the next couple of days might be a little, a little rough. It's gonna be hard so for all me, of us. Yeah. If, yeah. if you see me wearing two band aids or something, you'll know why. But okay. Um, Over the yeah, big just to frame your face. What do you think? Yeah. Yes. Good. It's going nice. The Groucho Marx look. I like it. That's great. Yeah. Um, good. <clears throat> yeah. By the way, for some reason, they feel it's important for people to see us and hear us. So I got on the plane today, flying back from uh, Park City, and the flight attendant said to me, "Hey, where's your pink bathrobe? And you're not supposed to be on this plane. Aren't you supposed to be sick?" And I thought, "Oh God, you wear one lady's bathrobe, and suddenly that's the talk of the plane." That'll do it every time. Hey. Um. I love this story. I am a sucker for these stories where a little kid sort of adopts an old guy or falls in love with a garbage man or whatever. In this case, and I got Chris, I got to get you played for me because I can't hit the button because I'm too busy looking at Sherry's uh, eyebrows. Um, this is the story about the eight-year-old boy, the GoFundMe, and the Waffle House. I love walking, working at Waffle House, especially just you know meeting new people every day and making making their days. That's Devonte Gardner's goal when he comes into work. I came with a positive attitude. I treat everybody with positivity. I love to see everybody smile. And Gardner did just that with one of his regular customers, eight-year-old Kazen Hunter. Devonte's just a really nice person, really good guy. 
Super nice to everyone he meets. But behind his smile, there's a struggle. For right now, you know, I'm working to get a car, working to be able to, you know, move my daughters out of a, the hotel that we're staying in right now. He tells me he moved out of his apartment after his daughters got sick from mold and hotel costs are adding up. All my tips and everything that I get, it goes straight to my kids. I pay for the room daily, pay $60 a day, and it, it just eat my pocket alive. His story sparked an idea in Kazan to create a GoFundMe to help Gardner pay for a car and rental property. It just be a blessing. Uh, I'm always counting my blessings, always thankful for anything that anybody gives me. So it's, it's, <laughs> it made me almost cry this morning. And Kazan says it's rewarding. It feels great, honestly. His dad, Corey Hunter, says Kazan always thinks of other people, and it's nice to see him step up at such a young age. Kazan does it not, you know, not wanting anything in return. Uh, just wants other people to pay it forward. And to be an example for other people to follow, no matter their age. It just feels good to help someone else. There you go. I, I, I heard the thing was up to 90,000, but now I'm seeing here it's up to $37,000. Is that right? Um, uh, I, I read 90,000, and the goal now is 100,000. Yeah, get to a nice. Oh, there it is. Yeah, you got it. Uh, boy eight raises a hundred thousand for his favorite Waffle House waiter. You ever gone to a? You ever done a fund fund me a GoFundMe? Not that you're trying to raise money for like your eyebrows or something, but um, uh, ever, ever given to one? Yes, I have. Okay, I have given Why? to several. Why? Uh, because yeah. it it moved me because I thought it was a a well meaning cause and um, because I thought that the people were deserving of it and it wasn't just um, a gimmick because some uh-huh. of these things are some of these things you have to be very careful if you have no knowledge of the people that are behind it you're really taking yeah. a risk and so um, but I, I two of them I knew and then the other one I just it was about dogs so I had to do uh, the dogs one yeah I always think there's a couple of different qualities that make somebody decide to give I think one of them is if the person in need um, is still struggling, still trying to make it, hasn't given up, is still pushing, you know? Uh, wasn't looking for the handout, didn't want it, didn't expect it. It's an act um, of kindness from somebody else. And then you have to find the person who's initiating the kindness. And in this case, it's the eight-year-old boy. And I think all of those kind of characteristics, all of those characters in place motivate people to go, oh, like that i'm gonna give to that you know i, I remember the I remember the, the one that really went crazy one of the first big ones remember the woman that was driving the bus and the kids were really really mean to her and they were teasing her and just awful uh and then she somebody did a story on it and then all of a sudden someone started to go fund me on it and, and then it just blew up and it kept going and going and going and going. I think she raised a couple of million dollars or something. She said all she wanted to do was go on vacation to get away from some of these kids that were just so mean to her. Do you remember that story? I don't remember that story, but I often wonder, I've never checked in on this. Do they do follow ups on this? Do they do they follow the people or do the GoFundMe sponsors? Or the ones that set it up as show us, like, here's how his life changed. He was able to get an apartment for the kids. He was able to get a car so he could drive to work and not rely on, you know, people. I mean, do they ever do that? Yeah. Uh, they, GoFundMe won't, but, you know, news organizations will follow up later on. I followed up on that woman because it was so amazing 
what happened was she only wanted like somebody somebody said let's put her on it oh it was kids were really mean they were t- teasing her the whole time she was a really sweet old lady uh someone said let's put her on she says all i want to do is go on vacation one week just go on a vacation and it raised i don't know 10 and then 30 then 50 then 100 and i think it up to like a million bucks whatever the number was she then retired and said i'm going to start a non-profit that is dedicated to you know trying to stop kids from bullying one another and i thought oh that'll be great let's follow up and see how she's doing it's like wah, wah. can never really find her after that i think she went on the vacation took the money but it's hers to do whatever she wants with it um i've given to a couple because i just feel bad when somebody it's when this person is still trying to make it i think that's the key that you just just don't want to give up on it so It'll be interesting to see what this guy does once he gets the $100,000. My guess is that he gives some of it away. What do you think? I don't think he'll give any of it away. I think he'll quit the Waffle House um, Uh and probably try to do something else. Maybe he'll try to do something where he can make a little bit more money for his family. But I don't think he's in a position to give any of it away. I think he's probably pretty strapped and needs that money to do something to benefit his life and maybe his yeah. family, maybe he's got extended family. He wants to help. Um, maybe. I think he'll be generous, but I don't think he's going to give it away to strangers. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. Let's see. You are, that's your dark heart speaking again, Sherry. It's more, it's my realistic heart. <laughs> nothing dark about it. It's realistic. I got just it. What, All right. I know it. people. I did. Yeah. I, I, we'll I know. Hope that, I know. We'll hope that Kazen, the little boy that started this, will inspire him to be generous. I don't want him to give it away. I want him to. I want it to help his family. I don't think he needs to give any of it away. I think he should help his family and get into a better situation, and and that's helping everybody then. But quitting the Waffle House? No way. Well, maybe uh, not. Maybe man, right, he's got there friends go. there, so uh, we'll see. There you go. All right. All right. Let's see. Uh, Nate's got traffic over there, the Beacon Public Traffic Desk. Plus, we'll come back. We'll find out if apparently you only needed 75000 bucks to be happy. That's no longer the case. So get ready, everybody. We'll give you the number, and then everybody can be happy. Uh, sure, you'll start to go fund me for you. All right, Nate, here we go. Here we go. Back at it. Uh, let's take the, um, this, the happiness thing. You know, it, this is a new study that came out, Sherry, that um, it used to be, was it 75000 or something? You would be happy or could be happy with that amount of money. That's what it was. Yeah, so they're saying that money can buy happiness, okay? And the threshold uh-huh. used to be about $75,000. Beyond that, they said happiness kind of plateaued. Mm-hmm. So now they're saying that the contentment increases as your salary increases. So oh. it does make a difference. It's not just, oh, you know, they used to say that, well, the, the, it flattened out between 60 and 90K. And once yeah. you got beyond that, eh, it didn't really make that much of a difference. But now, oh, no. They say the overall emotional effect of more money on a person in uh, is, is really is small in comparison with other circumstances. So, yeah. for instance, they say people also value time off. They value two days off at the end of the week. And so it's not just the money that's going to make you happy, but you will eventually kind of, if you make a little bit more money, 
you're going to go back to your sort of baseline of happiness after a little while once you get used to that money. Right. Because what they've seen is when people win the lottery, you know, it goes up and then they kind of drop back down into that, you say, the baseline. They even say when it comes to horrible things like people being paralyzed or some major event in their life, they, of course, they go down and then they sort of glide back up and they exist within that that zone of, you know, not miserable, not, you know, overly joyful, but just generally at times content or happy. The part about the money having been dirt poor, it's the constant stress of just stuff that piles up. The phone calls from the people, you know, that you owe money to or um, the car breaks down, that weird, awful cycle of, Driving to work, you got to get to work. Your car breaks down. Now it's on the side of the road. The part costs ninety eight dollars and twenty three cents. Can't afford the part. That person comes and tows the car. Now the car is it the uh, is in the impoundment, but the impoundment is fifty bucks every day. You can't get the fifty because you can't get the ninety eight, and you can't get the car, and you can't. And then you lose the job because you can't get the work. I mean, listen. At that point, seventy five thousand bucks would feel great to people, right? But I know people that are very, very rich and really unhappy. Um, and pursuing happiness through material goods, I always think, leaves the person with a sort of a strange void in their life. Well, I mean, it's it's very true. If you look at the Buddhist uh, philosophy, it's that you, non-attachment, right? Because everything you buy or you acquire will eventually break or get old or something like that. So you really yeah. shouldn't be attached to things. And a, and a lot of Buddhists will give away all their things at the end of five years or something like that because they want to show that they don't have attachment to it and they're meaningless. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, stuff like that can bring you happiness temporarily, but it, you really do go back to what your set level of contentment is. And it doesn't, uh-huh. like you said, it doesn't matter if you've had a terrible thing happen or a wonderful thing happen. That's kind of who you are. And yeah. unless you have a complete overhaul of your attitude or philosophy or personality or all of these things, then it's probably not going to make that much of a difference. Yeah. But happiness is this other thing. It's the one topic that most books are written about, obviously, in the self-help. Most the most books that are purchased have happiness in there. People are trying to pursue it. Happiness is the byproduct, a temporary feeling after succeeding at something, and then it goes away, and then you try to get it again. So you can never in a constant state of happiness. It just doesn't exist, but it's a reward that you are given for an effort that you make with something that you would like to see happen. That's the sort of the basics of it. When I was single and living in New York City, that's where I used to hang out, was in the self-help section of Barnes & Noble, because that's where all the... The women that seem to be struggling with things in their life and needed me to bring joy to them. That's right. I'd be roaming that aisle, the self-help and, section. And did you worry that maybe they thought that of you? That you were that you too needed help and that you too needed to be rescued? Wow. Hadn't thought and about that, that. Wow. And the red now, flag, red flag guy in aisle six, he needs help. He's got no, no, they were there first. They were there first. They were there and they'd be in the aisle. I'd be walking by like, oh, Hey, that book, you know, I talk to them and yeah, you know, get a date, bring them happiness for a little while. (laughs) How often did it work? I mean, you know, what? Huh? Hey, we're up against the clock. (laughs) Hey, Nate, over there in traffic and get you home. Here I am. There you are. Beacon Plumbing Traffic Desk. Hit it, baby.